0: But we've been taking a look at, we all want to be loved, t- talking about different. Last week, I strived very hardly to preach. I, you know, when you're, when you're a preacher, what do you do? You preach. <laughs> what, do, what do preachers do? They preach. And so I, I was sick last week, and I'm like, this is my birthday, and it's Valentine's Day, and I am preaching. Heaven is a world of love, even if I have to... Butcher it. I'm going to preach it. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. And so last week, I apologize that you had to hear my raspy voice. And, but there to engage, you know, we were talking about this in our men's small group, my men's small group this week. To think about the wonders of heaven. We can't, we can't even in our natural mind begin to understand the vastness of the love of God. It's impossible. That's why we have to have new glorified bodies to even begin to comprehend the, the greatness of God and the vastness of his love. That's what we're talking about today. But James uses this term, the royal law. For those that are in my James class uh, in Bethesda will recognize this. We, we spent some time talking about the royal law. But the, the royal law is, is this. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that you are to love what? Love the Lord your God Okay, y'all kind of got the idea there. So lo- it was kind of broken up, but y'all said it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You love, your, love God with everything that you are. And the second Jesus said, the second greatest commandment is like it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor as yourself. This is the royal law that James is talking about. This is, this is the royal law of God. Now, I'm going to take a look at in Ephesians the law of God this morning. But before we do, you know, a lot of times we view loving others and loving God kind of in this earthly context in in. Broken Arrow, I think, I think I said the name right, Broken Arrow in Nebraska. There was a truck driver that came in, and I'm not one to usually tell stories, but this was kind of a funny story. So he comes into his, the truck driver comes into a late night truck driving place. Y'all ever been to one of those, you know, truck driver, truck stop places? They're probably not the greatest of character. I mean, you go, right? So not the greatest of characters in there. I've been to one. So, some of you will get that later when you get home. You'll, you'll compute what I just said there. But anyway, they're not the greatest of characters. He goes in, the truck driver goes in and, and uh, orders his meal and he's eating and going about his business. And all of a sudden in comes three biker guys, you know, the Hell's Angel types that come in. And they start giving this guy a hard time. One of them picks up his coffee and starts drinking it. Another one is eating his sandwich and you know eating his fries. They're just really giving the guy a hard time. He just sits there, the truck driver sits there. He watches the, the Harley dudes, you know, doing their thing. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if I would just sit there and take that. But he just sat there and watched him. And he gets up, he leaves his seat, he goes and he pays his bill and walks out the door and drives off into the night. And the Harley dudes are sitting around talking, man, that wasn't, he's not much of a man. I mean, he could have said something, done something. What kind of man is that? And the waitress is standing there overhearing their conversation and says, well, I don't know anything about him being a man or not, but I can tell you this. He's not a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot. <laughs> you know, that's sometimes how we view love, right? We just, I'll get even with you. <laughs> let, let me deal with you. I'll show you my, my, my love. I'll deal with you. Sarah Edwards, many of you have heard us talk about Jonathan Edwards and Sarah Edwards, his wife, had this phrase she called swallowed up in God. And that's what I want to, if I, if I had to give a message to the, the, or a title, if I had to give a message to the title, if I had to give a title to the message this morning, I would call it swallowed up in God. But this is what Sarah Edwards, she had this great encounter, and this is back in 1742. So you have to place the time frame here. In 1742, she had a uh, her and her husband had a guest speaker come into their church in Northampton. Now, let me pause here. Some of you may not be aware of the history. Jonathan Edwards, Sarah Edwards were the pastors of the, of the Northampton church in the 1700s where the Great Awakening took place. And so this, is, this out of this church, the, the, the new colonies, the eastern coast, was shaken by the power and the presence of God in, in an incredible way in the 1700s. It actually, uh, many people say that the most famous person during that time was a was a man by the initials of G W, and it was not George Washington. It was a man by the name of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was the evangelist that was at Jonathan Edwards' church uh, during the time of the Great Awakening, and they, the two of them, pastored and traveled up and down the East Coast, preaching revival. Sinners, you know, many of you are familiar with the message. Sinners. In in the hands of an angry God. Uh, and that's just, the, that's just a glimpse of the numerous messages that Jonathan Edwards have preached. If you've heard me preach, or you've heard Heather preach, you've heard us preach Jonathan Edwards at some point. We, we use his, uh, his ministry, his studies, and all, all the time. Incredible, incredible pastor, incredible preacher. And his wife, uh, in 1742, they have this guest speaker by the name of Mr. Buell. They have him come in and preach. And, and Sarah Edwards has an encounter with God that she was physically, she was physically affected. She had not been physically affected to this point uh, by the Spirit of God. She was so physically affected by the Spirit of God in these meetings that Jonathan Edwards said to her, Sarah, you've got to write this down. You've got to write down, try to describe in words what happened to you. So she's, she's got a lengthy description. So I'm just giving you a snippet of that description where she tries to describe being swallowed up in God. if you could describe such a thing at three o'clock in the afternoon a lecture was preached by Mr. Buell they're going to put this up for you in the later part of the sermon, one or two appeared much moved, and after the blessing, when the people were going out, several others. To my mind, there was the clearest evidence that God was present in the congregation on the work of redeeming love, and in the clear view of this, I was all at once filled with such an intense admiration of the wonderful condescension and grace of God. And returning again to Northampton, as I overwhelmed my soul and immediately took away my bodily strength. In other words, and you'll hear her say this multiple times, she was not able. Able to stand up, she physically was incapacitated by the presence of God. This was accompanied with an earnest longing that those of us who were the children of God might now arise and strive. It appeared to me that the angels in heaven sung praises for such wonderful, free, and sovereign grace, and my heart was lifted up in adoration and praise. I continued to have clear views of the future world, of eternal happiness and misery, and my heart full of love to the souls of men. On seeing some that I found were in a natural condition, I felt a most tender compassion for them. But was especially was, while I remained in the meeting house, from time to time overcome, and my strength taken away by the sight of one and another, whom I regarded as the children of God, and who I had heard were lively and animated in religion. We remained in the meeting house about three hours after the public exercise was over. <laughs> she didn't leave the church. Church service was ended. For three hours, they stayed. She stayed incapacitated by the presence of God. During most of the time, my bodily strength was overcome and the joy and thankfulness which were excited in my mind as I contemplated the great goodness of God led me to converse with those who were near me in a very earnest manner. And when I came home, I found Mr. Buell, Mr. Christophers, Mr. Hopkins, Mrs. Eleanor Dwight, the wife of Joseph Allen, Mr. Job Strong at the house. And seeing and conversing with them on the divine goodness renewed my former feelings and filled me with an intense desire that we might all arise and with an active flow and fervent heart give glory to God in other words she walks in the house and they all start talking about service and what God did and it all you just hit the repeat button everything that happened in church started happening in the home and the intenseness have you done that have you you had such an encounter with the Lord in his presence here that it leaves with you and it carries on into your daily life I pray that that is the reality for you, that you don't just come to church and have a good religious service and go home and it affects nothing. I hope that God gets a hold of your life while you're here and you go home and it changes things. Amen. The intenseness of what my feelings again took away my bodily strength. The words of one of Dr. Watts Hosanna's powerfully affected me. (laughs) Hosanna! Woo! (laughs) That's what that looked like. (laughs) To talk about Worship. In the course of, of the conversation, I uttered them as the real language of my heart with great earnestness and emotion. Hosanna to the King David's son who reigns on a superior throne. <laughs> you know, that, that phrase, if you just, if you just <laughs> Hosanna, he reigns on a superior throne. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's, that's what was happening with Sarah. And while I was uttering the words, my mind was so deeply impressed with the love of Christ and a sense of his immediate presence that I could with difficulty refrain from rising from my seat and leaping for joy. Have you been overcome with the presence of the Lord that you just kind of find yourself on your feet jumping for joy? I continued to enjoy this intense and lively and refreshing sense of divine things, accompanied with strong emotions for nearly an hour, after which I experienced a delightful calm and peace and rest in God until I retired for the night. Now she's going to bed. And during the night, both waking and sleeping, I had joyful views of divine things and a complacent rest. Of soul and God. I woke in the morning of Thursday, January 28th, in the same happy frame of mind and engaged in the duties of my family with a sweet consciousness that God was present with me and with earnest longings of the soul for the continuance and increase of the blessed fruits of the Holy Spirit in the town. Now, in other words, she didn't sleep much that night. (laughs) She was back and forth between sleeping and being awake, laughing in the joy, praying in the spirit. All of these things was going on throughout the night with her, and that's what she's describing. About nine o'clock, these desires became so exceedingly intense when I saw numbers of the people coming into the house with an appearance of deep interest in religion that my bodily strength was much weakened and it was with difficulty that I could pursue my ordinary avocations. You know, there's a theme here. About 11 o'clock as I accidentally went into the room where Mr. Buell was conversing with some of the people, I heard him say, Oh, that we who are the children of God should be cold and lifeless in religion. And I felt such a sense of the deep ingratitude manifested by the children of God and such coldness and deadness that my strength was immediately taken away and I sunk down on the spot. And those who were near raised me and placed me in a chair. And from the fullness of my heart, I expressed to them in a very earnest manner the deep sense I had of the wonderful grace of Christ towards me, of the assurance I had of His of having saved me from hell, of my happiness running parallel with my eternity, of the duty of giving up all to God, and of the peace and joy inspired by an entire dependence on his mercy and grace. In other words, she walked into the room. They're all talking of the, the preachers preaching, and they're all apathetic. They have cold hearts all written on their face. They have apathy written on their face. And immediately her heart is broken and grieved for the apathy in the room. And she falls to the floor. And the the apathetic few put her in a chair and say, tell us what's happening. And she begins to preach to them about their apathy and how God is touching her life. And Mr. Buell then read a melting hymn of Dr. Watts concerning the loveliness of Christ, the enjoyments and the employments of heaven, that I leaped unconsciously from my chair. I seemed to be drawn upward, soul and body, from the earth earth towards heaven. And it appeared to me that I must naturally and necessarily ascend thither. These feelings continued while the hymn was reading and during the prayer of Mr. Christopher's which followed. And after that prayer, Mr. Buell read two other hymns on the glories of heaven which moved me so exceedingly and drew me so strongly heavenward that it seemed as it were to draw my body upwards and I felt as if I must necessarily ascend thither. At length my strength failed me and I sunk down when they took me up and laid me on the bed where I lay for considerable time faint with joy while contemplating the glories of the heavenly world. After I had lain a while I felt more perfectly subdued and weaned from the world and more fully resigned to God than I had ever been conscious of before. I felt an entire indifference to the opinions and the representations and conducts of mankind respecting me. In other words, I didn't care what they thought. (laughs) I was lost in heaven. I was entirely swallowed up in God as my only portion, and His honor and glory was the object of my supreme desire and delight. (laughs) What an experience! What What an encounter! And that's where we find Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. My prayer for you today is that you will be utterly and hopelessly swallowed up in God. (laughs) And everybody that's hungry for that said amen. For this reason, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, that he would give to you, according to the riches of his glory, according to the riches and the fullness of his glory, to be strengthened with might, through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's take a look at the Scripture. Hallelujah. Lord, give us ears to hear today what what Paul was saying here in the Scripture. Give us us a mind of Christ. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying in our day. Lord, that we would be, like Sarah Edwards talked about, swallowed up in you, that we'd be fully, hopelessly lost and saturated, inundated with the love of God, being strengthened in our inner man. We thank you for it, Lord. Paul starts off, He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. For this reason, what was the reason with which Paul was being motivated to this earnest prayer for the Ephesians? Well, we go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. He says the same thing, for this reason, the same context. So he's repeating himself again and again that there is an important reason why Paul is being earnestly provoked by the Holy Spirit to pray for the Ephesians The the Ephesus church, in verse 19 of Ephesians 2, we find this. In verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2, he says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone and whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord and whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. Why was Paul praying such an earnest prayer for them to be strengthened? Because they were being fashioned. They were being fit. They were being built together to be the dwelling place for God. the the earnestness of Paul's prayer was that the recognition, that they would realize the importance of what they had been called to do. It wasn't to have churches normal. You have to remember back to to where Ephesus started. Their origins of this church was Paul walking into the city of Ephesus, finding some believers. He started to meet with them, and they were being mocked and tormented by the people in the community. And so he says, you know what? Forget you. We're going to go over here. If You don't want us meeting in the temple. If you you religious folks have a problem with what I'm teaching for eight hours a day for two years, let's go on over to the hall of Tyrannus. We'll go over here. And I'll teach for eight hours a day for two years about the things of God, the things of the Spirit. And for two years, eight hours a day, are you hearing that? Paul preached to the Ephesians the message of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation and revival breaks out in Ephesus. The church of Ephesus becomes the revival center for Asia. All of the churches that are started are a result of Paul's ministry at Ephesus. Matter of fact, Acts 19 says that extraordinary miracles were happening by the hands of Paul. That they were taking handkerchiefs and pieces of Paul's clothing and dispersing them to people who were sick and had demons and they were being set free and healed. Wow. We're talking about a New Testament church when they say extraordinary miracles, by the nature itself, a miracle is pretty extraordinary. And these these believers, these New Testament believers who are seeing the people fall down dead because they've lied to the Holy Spirit. They've they've seen people get up who were lame, couldn't walk. These people are seeing Uh, Philip, who's being translated, the guy's standing in one place and all of a sudden he's not there and he's somewhere else. They're seeing supernatural, I mean, we're talking supernatural miracles and it adds this word, these were unordinary miracles happening in Ephesus. So God was doing a supernatural work in Ephesus and Paul's writing to them and saying, don't forget the reason why you exist is to be a habitation for the presence of God. Remember how you started? Remember how we started this thing? That's why you exist. It's for the miracles and the supernatural presence of God. That's why you were born, to house the presence of God. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knee. For this reason, I'm praying on your behalf. And I believe through the echoes of the ages, Paul's prayer is still ringing on your behalf today. He's still saying those words still echo through the the times of history. God, may they know why they exist. It's not to be a religious church with good, good things happening. They're to be. A house for the presence of God. May that be our passion. May that be what drives us, that we are habitation for the presence of God. He says, I bow on my knees. <clears throat> he says, I'm, I, this reason I'm bowing, that, the words there, bow on my knees, is that he's praying. He's making earnest intercession for you and I. Reminds me of the words in James, where James said, the earnest The effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. It makes much power available. I don't imagine that Paul's prayer was, Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord, the Ephesians, to keep. I would imagine that Paul's prayer was something along the lines, oh God, may they recognize the purpose and the DNA that you've placed on the inside of them. God, may they recognize that you've called them out of darkness into the marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of you who've called them. Lord, I pray that they would get a reality check, Lord, of why they're formed, why they're fashioned, why they exist, why you've placed your hand on them, that they've become a habitation of the Lord, that they've become a dwelling place for God. Like David said, one thing have they desired, and I prophesy over them, one thing they shall desire, and that will they seek after, that they would dwell in the house of God all the days of their life. That's what Paul's prayer probably was. (laughs) Lord, give them a reality check. Let them see why they exist. That they have become the habitation of God. I have a feeling that Paul... Had an understanding of the realities of things that could come. What do you mean, Pastor? If you have your Bibles, go over to Revelation with me. In Revelation chapter 2, in Revelation chapter 2, we find Jesus via courier John the Revelator sending a letter. To the church of Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1 it says this. To the church of Ephesus write. So we know the following words are to the church of Ephesus. Which we are reading about. Obviously is also a prophetic word for the day in which we live. We know this. But here's what verse 4 says. Nevertheless I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Is it possible that a church that was started in such power and prominence and ministry, a church that saw supernatural, supernatural miracles that were over and above the normal miracles, this church... Where Paul preached for eight hours a day, and people would sit and listen for eight hours, and he would walk the streets, and people would line up that his shadow would fall on them, that they could be healed, and handkerchiefs were taken out from him, so that they could be healed, and, and the, the upheaval that was taking place in the Ephesus. could it be Could it be that this same church now has fallen from their first love? They had the right works, Jesus told them in Revelation 3, verses 2 and 3. They had the right works. They hated evil. They did the right things, but they had the wrong motivation. They did all the right, the right line items. If you had to go through and take an account of all of their activities, their, their itemized statement of good activity, all was present, but it was done with the wrong motivation. He said, you've lost your first love. And Paul's prayer, I'm bowing on my knees, I'm sure echoed as, as John began to read or whoever stood up and read the letter from Jesus himself to their church, I'm sure that the letter of Ephesus, the, or the, the, the letter of Ephesians by, written by Paul, is echoing through their mind, for this reason I bow on my knee. And I pray that you would be strengthened, that you would be rooted, that you would be grounded, that you might know what... Not how to be a good church and be a success. Not how to have all the right principles. Not, not how to hate all the evil and do all this and do all that. Not that you can say at the, end of your, at the end of your days as a church, look Jesus, we did it all. We checked our checklists. We're pretty good at this. We got it. We did it. Look at us. Yay us. No, that's not, that's not what Paul was saying. He said, I want you to know the love of God. Yeah. I want you to know why you were created, that you're a habitation for God, that you might experience His love. This is why I bow. This is why I pray. He says, of the whole family. In, verse, in, in chapter 3, in verse 15, he says, from whom the whole family in heaven we recognize here in this scripture that our heritage is God himself. We are his offspring. No matter what your background is. Heather touched on this today. This is what what Paul was saying. No matter what your background is. No matter whether you're a drug dealer or you're you're a church boy growing up in church. No matter what your background whether you're slave or free Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Whether you're Greek or whether you're a Jew. Doesn't matter. We've all been made to drink of one spirit. We've all been made to be brought into this holy habitation of God, you might have the drug past, but it's going to make you colorful and display the glory of God in a way that nobody else will. You might be the good little church boy, but you're going to display the glory of God a little bit different than the drug addict will, but it's okay because we're all being built and formed and fitted together in a holy habitation. And you know what? The other funny thing about this is God's going to probably put on your right or your left hand side, if you're a church boy, a drug addict, <laughs> he's going he's to butt you up right next to a brick that happens to look a lot different than you yeah. that's why we're being fitted by the Holy Spirit into this holy habitation we're, yeah. we're living bricks we're living stones being built together and God's going to put somebody next to you that's going to look a little bit different than you and that's okay because yeah. you're going to display the glory of God in a way that you never could unless you were together That's a good word for somebody today. Probably nobody in the room. It's for someone listening on the podcast. (laughs) He says, I want you to be strengthened in your inner man. He says, who in the whole family being named, that you would that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might in the Spirit, in your inner man. Notice our inner man is receiving the strengthening. The Holy Spirit is coming. He's imparting to us supernatural strength. He's placing within you and I the dunamis, the power, the strength to accomplish what God has set in our path to become. In other words, you're going to become a habitation for the Lord. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you dunamis. I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to immerse you in the fullness of the Spirit. Let me say this. The one who makes room Room for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit makes room for Jesus. When you begin to yield and live in a conscious awareness and dependence upon the Holy Spirit, He begins to make room for Jesus in your life. As a believer, He begins to remove self and sin and the depravity of this world out of your life so that Jesus can be a little bit more at home living on the inside of you. you got to get your house in order, in other words. If you're going to be a holy habitation for God, the things in your life have to have room for Jesus to dwell if you want God living in your home you got to make room for him if we have guests come over to our house we don't leave our house a mess and in disarray not that we have a house in disarray or mess any other time but but when guests come over we make sure it's really clean and and Buster's hair is all vacuumed up and the house smells nice and the room is all extra did up and not you know y'all know what I'm talking about don't look like I'm full we got to teach you some southern hospitality if you're looking at me like I'm this crazy when you have people over your house, you make them feel comfortable. You welcome them. If you want God to come and reside in your spiritual abode, the Holy Spirit's got to come and do some work on the inside of you. You know, we often think we've got to get our life in order. You, gotta, you know, we come to Jesus by faith, but then all of a sudden, we transition out of faith into works, and we've got to do it. we got to do, 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 do. No, it's the Holy Spirit's coming, and He begins the work on the inside of us. If you could do it, you would have done did it. You don't have a passion to change yourself, you filthy, ugly thing. That was a joke. You can laugh. Y'all are filthy, ugly things. Everyone in this room, i got to say that again because some of you just thought I was being offensive. I'm not being offensive. I'm telling you the truth. You filthy, ugly thing. Everything on the inside of you is vile and evil. You don't want anything but evil. It's all about you. This world revolves around you. You want everybody to bow at your feet. We know how you are. If the truth be told, we know you want everybody to bow at your feet and do what you want them to do. We know that. That's that's our evil carnal nature. But the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to change us and transform us. That's why we preach and teach repetitively. Yield. (laughs) Yield to the Holy Spirit. Stop fighting. You're not, you know, when you come to the altar and receive prayer, this is a great example Brandon touched on. You know, it's not how long you can stand up. How long can I resist the Holy Ghost? I'm, you are not going to touch me today, Holy Spirit. That's really the attitude we come with. Sometimes You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. And then some crazy preacher comes and just walks by. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and you end up on the floor. God, It's not how long we can resist. It's how quickly we can get in. How quickly can I yield? How quickly can I yield to God? Weiss says this. He said, The trust here is not a trust in the Lord Jesus as Savior, but having believed on Him as Savior, the saint is now able to believe on Him as the one who fills with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is the truth here that, that Paul's teaching us. That we are to be strengthened on the inner man. That why? Why are we to be strengthened? That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. There is a purpose of why you and I are being strengthened. It's the Holy Spirit making room for Christ in our life. Then he goes on to say this word. It's a horrible translation in verse 18. He says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. That's a bad, I, I, you know, I've been... Lester gave me a hard time because one time I said in church, that's a bad translation, and he had to go home and study it and make sure I wasn't telling him a fib. <coughs> I, <I'm not laughs> I, I would say you need to do that regularly. I'm not telling you fibs, but go home and study for yourself. But, and I, Likewise, I'm not telling you a fib when I say this. The word comprehend in our English language In order to say what Paul's saying here, we'd have to add a sentence and it wouldn't sound right. This is what the word comprehend means. It's a compound word, canalambano. And it means to lay hold of as to make one's own to take possession of. And so what Paul is saying here is I want you to lay hold of the love of God. I want you to take possession of it. I want you to make it your own. I want you, if we had a word in the English, it would be apprehend. I don't want you just to comprehend something. I want you to apprehend it. I want you to take hold of it for yourself. You see, it's possible that you and I can have an understanding about principles, but we lack an experience about reality. We can understand that God is love, but we lack experience in knowing that love intimately. And so what Paul's saying is, I don't want you just to know, have head knowledge. I want you to experience it for yourself. Matter of fact, he goes on to say with this word comprehend, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and that you would know, verse 19, that you would know the love of God. He's reiterating himself. It's a different word. He's reiterating the thought. The word know is the word ginosko. It means to know by intimate experience. And so Paul is saying, I want you to know by intimate experience the love of God that you would apprehend, that you would take hold of it by experience. The word know that... There, the genosco word, is also used for intimacy. It's to know as a husband and wife, know each other. He goes on to say, so God wants us to know him by intimate experience, that we would worship him, come into his presence, love him, enjoy him, and enjoy his love that he's pouring out on us. Amen? He says, so to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That passes knowledge. That word passes knowledge. It was up there on the screen. We can put it back up. Is surpassing. It's in some translations says surpassing. It's the Greek word hoopabalo. It means over and above, to excel, to go beyond. Great, expansive love. That you would know by experience, apprehend, take hold of this expansive love of God. In other words, no matter how much you and I have experienced the love of God personally, there are always infinite oceans still available that we haven't even touched. You and I may come to an altar. And we get touched by the Lord in, in, at an altar. We, God speaks to us in our private time as we, as we uh, study His Word, as we worship in our private time at home, or as we're going throughout our day and we're driving down the road with our worship music on. And God just kind of comes and sits in your passenger seat and has a conversation with you. Yeah, He wants to do all of those things. He wants to do all of those things and more. But even if you've experienced all that, there's still an eternity There's still an eternity vastness more (laughs) of things to experience in God's love. We can't even begin to comprehend. But that's what Paul's saying. I want you to begin to grasp and to take hold of this love for yourself. That it is expansive. It's more than you can ever understand in this natural world. It's more than you can ever understand with your natural mind. But by the Spirit of God, you can begin to understand these things. Press in, take hold, be strengthened in your inner man. There's an old song that many of you probably know. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretch from sky to sky. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. <laughs> it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. Yes, this to begin to touch, begin to grasp, to begin to describe, begin to experience this love, this tangible love of God. And then he says these words. It's okay, you'll, you'll be fine. Lunch, uh, Bob Evans will be waiting, I promise. <coughs> I haven't made a Bob Evans joke in a while, so I had to throw that in. Verse, <laughs> verse 19. It's good to be, enjoy the presence of the Lord together. Verse 19. By the way, I don't hate Bob Evans. Verse 19. I'll get back to the Bible. I'll get back to the Bible. <laughs> then he says these words. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If there's, ever, if there's ever a phrase that you need to underline in your Bible and highlight and mark up and make notes and study and dive into, you could spend all eternity just there on those words. Filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all what does that look like to be filled with all the fullness of God? One second in his presence, and I'm undone. One moment in his presence, I'm undone. And I and you want me to be filled with all the fullness. I'm a habitation of God. I'm being made. I'm being formed. I'm being fashioned as a holy habitation for God. I'm a dwelling place for God, and now I'm going to be, as it were, Sarah Edwards' terminology, swallowed up in God. I'm going to be. I'm going to be the habitation. But all of a sudden, God is swallowing me up. All of a sudden, I, I'm a. I'm a habitation for God. But all of a sudden, it's not about me. It's really not about me. Wow. What a shocker. It's really not all about me. It's about him. Wow, what a novel idea. Wow, it's all about him. It's not about me. And then God comes, and he fills me up, and he satisfies me, and I find my delight in him, and he's delighting in me. And all of a sudden, all those religious things that I've been told all of my life don't make any sense anymore because that's not really what it's all about. It's really just all about him. It's really just all about Him. And I can delight in Him. And I can find my pleasure in Him. And my, my number one goal in this life, my number one priority in this life is to find pleasure in God. Wow, what a novel. Why didn't somebody tell me this when I was eight years old? What? I mean, I had to go 20-something years until I heard somebody say, Your number one job is to find pleasure in God. What? That doesn't make any sense. My brain doesn't compute that. That my number? One, I thought I was supposed to reach the lost. I thought I was supposed to preach the gospel. I thought I was supposed to. I thought I was supposed to be a preacher called into ministry. I thought I was supposed to. I. I had the title of pastor. I was supposed to be somebody. Hang on a second. You mean my life is just to enjoy God? Wow. What a novel idea. Now, all of a sudden, I get to do what I'm called to do, not because I have to, but because it's the overflow of God in me. I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to strive to be a pastor. I just is. It just is because God's flowing out of me. And it's, it's who he's created me to be. And I find the pleasure of God when I preach and I minister. There's no other place. I could stand up here 24 hours a day and preach something. Some of you say, please don't, pastor. Please don't. <laughs> but I could, sta- I could stand up here 24 hours a day and just flip through my Bible and say, okay, let's, let's go here. Let's go here. And it's the joy of my life. It's the pleasure of my life. I, you know, if you know me outside of the pulpit, I'm I'm a shy person. I don't like to talk. I don't like to be in front of people. And the more you get to know me, you find out that I'm probably really not that pleasant of a guy to be around because it's awkward to have conversation with me. And I I really, my wife, she's the talker. We're we're at someone's house last night and I'm thinking, oh God, what am I going to say? They didn't know this, but I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what am I going to talk about? I mean, my life, what my life, my life is church. Let's talk about church. Would you like to talk about church? I mean, let's, let's talk. I deal with church people all day. Let me tell you about these church people I'm dealing with. I mean, y'all don't want me talking about you at somebody's dinner table. So I don't. <laughs> I don't. Let me just say I don't. I don't. But I mean, what am I going to talk about? So my wife, you know, she's going to come up with something and I'll just follow her. It's awkward. But when, But when I step into what I'm called in the presence of God and I just step in, all of a sudden it's natural. It's it's easy because it's not about me. (laughs) In my filthy, ugly self, it's all about him. John 7, Jesus said, out of your belly, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I don't want to get up here. I'm using myself as an example. I hope you understand that. But I don't want to get up here and just pour out a bunch of head knowledge on you. I can do that. I mean, I can, I can get up here and I can read from every commentary on my computer. And I can tell you every great little fact and tidbit of information. And you leave here with a big head and no spirit. Come on. Yeah. I can give you head information all day long. And that's not, but that's not what I'm called to do. Out of my belly ought to be flowing rivers, not out of Woo-hoo! my head. Yes. Some of us yes. keep trying to get Jesus to flow out of our heads and not out of our bellies. And that's why you're still headlocked. You're stuck in your head because Jesus said himself, rivers aren't flowing out of your head, it's flowing out of your spirit man. Life comes out of your spirit man, not how much you know. I can know all day long great facts and never have experience. And that's what Paul's addressing. He said you can know all day long good information, but I want you to experience him. I want you to know him by personal experience. I'm going to wrap up with this. I wrote them down, and I want to give them to you because it just might be helpful for you. For those that are headlocked, this might be a good check for you. (laughs) You know, I try to appeal to both sides when I can. Just a couple of 16 different, and I'm not going to take time to talk about them, I'm just going to give them to you, 16 different ways that we can see the difference between delighting in God and religion. In case you ever needed a checklist to help you understand what does delighting in God look like versus what religion looks like, let me give you some. Number one, delight in God is focused on enjoyment of God's manifest presence in every aspect of life. Religion focuses on traditions and church buildings. When we delight in God, we want His presence in every aspect of our lives, not just when we come to church. Number two, when delighting in God, the individual transforms from within, religion focuses on outward rituals. Well, if you take communion this number of times a day, and this you pray this many, and do this, and you got it. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but we make a ritual out of it. Well, when we sing this song... Oh, Jesus. When we sing this song... I'm not talking about any particular song. I'm just talking... I mean, millennials can do this too. I mean, this is... It's just any... When we sing this song, I, let me just say, I've dealt with this with millennials a lot. And young, when you say millennials, I'm talking about young adult and youth culture. Because they think they have an experience at camp with God singing a certain song. So they come back to their church and think they have to sing and dance a certain way for God to touch them. Hey, all of us do that. So if we think we've got to sing a certain song a certain way and then God's going to move, that's religion. I don't want God to touch me like he did yesterday. I want to know God somehow different today. I want to see him in a different way today. Yeah, there's powerful words and powerful meanings, and I love them all. And they're they're the foundation. Every one of those encounters with God. I talked about oceans this morning. It's a foundational song for me. It's a moment in time. It's a mark in history in my life. And I thank God for that. But I don't camp out there. I thank God for that moment where God spoke to me singing oceans. I thank God for the moment where God spoke to me saying, come on to Jesus. Or, this is the day. This is, you know, I thank God for all of those moments. But I don't camp out there. I say, God, I want more. There's more to you to discover. Don't leave. I didn't mean to offend you. I say, <laughs> For those listening on the podcast, you just got to be in church. I had someone the other day ask for something they wanted to know. They were listening not from around here. We're listening to the podcast. They wanted to know something. I said, I just got to send you the notes. That's all I could say. Sorry. Some things you just got to be present for. When delighting in God, all believers are released to work to the work of ministry. In religion, the professionals do the work. When we delight in God, the Spirit is poured out on all flesh, and religion just happens in services. (laughs) We're okay with the Spirit moving, as long as it's just in church. But don't mess up my daily life, God. When we delight in God, we delight in His Word as our authority. Yikes. When When we delight in God, we delight in His Word as our authority. And religion, traditions, and Christian catchphrases or cliches have authority. If I can tell you, if I had a dollar for every Christian that based their life on some Christian cliche that the Bible never said, I'd be a rich man. We don't live our lives based on cliches. We study the word to show ourselves approved. When we delight in God, the presence of God goes with the believer. In religion, the presence of God is limited to the church building. Notice the theme there? Number seven, when we delight in God, the fivefold ministry equips the believers for the work of the ministry. In religion, the fivefold minister, i.e., pastor, does the work of the ministry. The biblical, delighting ourselves in the Lord. We want, the laity, when I say we, the laity wants to engage in ministry. It's not about the man behind the pulpit. It's about each one of us doing the work of the ministry. The man behind the pulpit's job is to help me, equip me, and encourage me and challenge me to do it. When we delight in God, our ministry focuses seven days a week. and religion, it's on Sunday. Sunday 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 number 9 when we delight in god the church serves the community and religion the church attempts to get the community in their church <laughs> getting the church inside the church or getting the community inside the church was never jesus's commission although that's going to be a byproduct the commission was go and make disciples not see how many people you can get in your church Thank the Lord that people are getting born again, and they're going to come to church, but it's OK if they don't come to this church. Yeah. Anybody hear what I'm saying? I want them being discipled and growing up in the things of God, and I love my church. but I want them growing somewhere. Yeah. Praise Him. Number two, y'all getting quiet up in here.) <laughs> Number ten, delighting in God produces a passion for the entire body of Christ. In religion, the burden is for the church and denomination only. Thank God for our church, and I thank God for our denomination. But my focus, my passion is for the body of Christ at large. Number eleven, in delighting in God, every believer becomes a priest. In religion, it's just the paid person behind the pulpit. We are all called as kings and priests to the Lord. Number twelve, When we delight in God, every part of life comes under the lordship of Christ. Every part. Everybody say every part. (laughs) Not just the parts you want him to have lordship of. He's either lord of all or not at all. In religion, the church stays out of the public and personal affairs. Well, pastor, don't go meddling with how I don't touch my potato chips. My job, there you Bob Evans. My job's to equip you. <laughs> Will your body sustain you to what you're called to? Or is your potato chips causing you to end early life or end up in the hospital? I'm not meddling. I'm just telling you truth. Oh, I'm called to preach, Pastor, great. Get off the couch and do something. I'm called to pastor. I'm called to lead a small group. bless God. Well, then start one. Okay, Uh, you got it. (laughs) I'm just speaking the truth in love this morning. I'm not going to mess with your personal affairs anymore. Delighting in God. (laughs) We recognize that Jesus is the king of kings in religion. He's just a symbolic leader. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. But I only worship him on Sundays. (laughs) I live like the devil during the week. I'm okay with that. That's religion. Number 14, when we delight in God, we become the salt of the earth. In religion, the believer is the salt of the church. Our emphasis of ministry is what takes place within these four walls. When you're religious, that's it. When you're delighting in God, all of a sudden you realize, I'm surrounded by people who need compassion, who need the love of God, who need the encounter, who need the experience that I've had. And you begin to pour out. Number 15, when we delight in God, we desire to see the earth impacted by the knowledge of the glory of God. In religion, the focus is on propagating the traditions of the church. In religion, we want to advance our church, our church name, our church emphasis, our church vision, our church, our church, our church. But when you begin to delight in God, it's about propagating his message. To see the glory of the Lord cover the earth. To see the knowledge of the glory of God touch and change lives. Number 16, when we delight in God, culture is affected. I want you to catch this. So this, to me, is huge. This is the church. Very few times in history have we seen the reality of this point. Number 16, when we delight in God, culture is affected. Religion disengages from culture. What I mean by that is this. When What we do most of the times in church, when we see someone that looks a little different than us, we disengage. Well, that's not, that's not godly. But if you take a look at the New Testament church, they didn't ignore culture. They didn't disengage from culture. They affected culture. Matter of fact, the church created the culture. It was said of them, these people that turned the world upside down have come here also. Yikes. Now, I'm not tooting our horn in this. But, but we've seen quite a stirring in Akron since we've been here. <laughs> we've, we've, uh, if, I've, if I've been told once, I've been told a hundred times, you know, people are talking about you. <laughs> Let them talk. <laughs> it won't be the first time, won't be the last time. Yes, we believe in the fullness of the gospel. Yes, I believe in the New Testament church. No, I am not ashamed of it. No, I will not stop preaching it. I'm so sorry. I believe, I believe, I believe what Paul said in Ephesians. And this is how he wrapped it up. This is how he wrapped it up. This is pretty powerful. Now to him. Now to him who is able. Not only does he have the power to do so, he's fully willing to do so. Now to him who is able to do beyond all things, super abundantly beyond and over and above those things, that's, you know, Paul puts, we saw that earlier. Paul uses redundance here to describe what God wants to do. He doesn't want to just do something. He wants to go beyond what we can ever ask. He wants to go beyond what we could ever think of. He wants to go beyond what we can ever imagine. Not because of us, but because he's putting on display his glory for the world to see. He's putting on, why? Because he knows one touch. People just come in and one encounter with his glory. It'll change everything. In proportion, I love this, how Paul words this, in proportion to the measure of power which is operating in us. That then begets the question how much power is operating in you? You see, you can't make the power of God operate in you. I can't make, you know, people ask me, how do you, how do you make people fall? I give them a good push. That's how I make them fall. You know, how do, how do you make people who are sick get healed? How do, you, how do you do that? Give me the formula. I'm like, are you the seven sons of Sceva? What's up with that? You can't buy this. You know, that's, that's what their problem was. Tell us. We want to buy this power. We want, you know, we, we will do this. And then they go out and the, the devils jump all over them and beat them up pretty good. I can't make this happen. You can't make this atmosphere happen. You can't make the things of God happen. But what you can do is by prayer, learn how to yield. Lord, teach me how to yield just a little bit more. Lord, show me, help me yield to your presence just a little bit more. Lord, I, I want to be led by the Spirit, not directed by my carnal nature. Help me, Lord. And you just find yourself yielding to God, yielding a little bit deeper, going a little bit closer to Him. And then all of a sudden, you see things change. Then all of a sudden, you're out and about in your normal life, and the Lord speaks to you and says, You see that person over there? I want you to go speak to them. You're like, uh, maybe next time? And the Lord says, nope, right now. And I want you to tell them that no matter what's going on in their home, I still love them and I have a purpose for their life. Uh, God, I don't know what's going on in their home, so I can't tell them that information. Just go tell them. And then all of a sudden you engage with what God's doing. You yield and you engage with what God's doing instead of what you're doing, you ugly thing. You engage with what God's doing. All of a sudden... The presence of God comes on the scene and people's lives are touched and changed. It's really that simple. In proportion to the measure of power which is operating in us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations and all ages. Amen. For this reason, for this reason, I bow my knees. Hallelujah. Lord, help us. Lord, we need your help, we need strengthened. We need empowered, we need to be rooted, we need to be grounded, as Paul said, in your love. We need to experience you and to know you, the depths of your love, the depths the depths of your glory. Lord, help us, and we thank you for it. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store.